Well, glory to God. I missed being with you all here last week. The um, thing I, I don't like about missing with you all is uh, I look at things over the course of a year. And over the course of the year, I have 50 Sundays with you. There's 52 in a year, but usually some other ones are taken up with special meetings or different things that are going on. So I usually get somewhere around 50 Sundays with you all. Now, out of that, some of you are missing out of, out of some of them. And so that number goes down a little bit more. But I don't like that number to go down. Because you see, even though I may get into a series and we may be in it a long time, it's because God gives me something in that series to, to get across to you. And so we spend some time to, to do that. When I miss a week... That means it's a week we're behind. And um, I don't like being behind. So we're going to get into here what we were going to get into last week. This comes out of Romans chapter 14, verse 23, at least to start. Where it says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Now this is after he was talking about the... Uh, Things about some food laws and and uh, people who are who are bound up to them. We're not here to talk about all the food laws and things you should eat or shouldn't eat. But this part he says here in the in the phrase, "For whatever is not from faith is sin." Now, in our series here on on boundaries, God has orchestrated places where we are to walk. We've told you that some of those boundaries move. And that as God moves, we need to move with Him. Just as Israel was to move throughout the wilderness, and as the pillar moved, so too were they to move. And to stay with, with where that was. Some boundaries are fixed. God says, thou shalt not have any gods before me. That's a fixed boundary. We don't go beyond it. And there's a number of things that are in that area that are, that are fixed. But here, this is a little bit different. Because you see, this boundary is set up in such a way that if I do something and I believe God, I have faith for it, then for me it's okay. But if you see me doing something and you don't have faith for it, for you it's not. Because whatever you do has to be done in faith. You have to do it in faith. And the way that you do it in faith is you do what God said. Have you ever read through the Word of God? And all of a sudden you read a, a scripture or a passage and you've read it before, but all of a sudden you say, Oh, I did not see that God said that in that passage. Have you ever had that happen? You see, suddenly you came into a whole new revelation. And now to do that, you have faith for it. If you do something that I do, that I have faith for, and you copy it, and you go after to do the same thing, for you, it is sin. You understand that? But that's not a bad thing. What you're doing is not a bad thing. How can it be sin? Because you did it without faith. That's why it's so important that we stay in the Word of God, that we grow in the Word of God, because... I need to continually expand where my faith is. Because if I stay where I am in faith, there are things that will come upon me that will be greater than I am. Because I didn't grow. I need to grow. It's mandatory that I grow. That's why we need to be listening to the Word of God that stretches us. Just keep hearing the same old thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, I got that. You're not going to grow. Your faith is not going to be expanded. And you aren't helped. But for people to do something that is not from faith, there's a word for it. That's an assumption. I assume I can do that. I assume I can go there. I assume that that's for me. And assumptions will hurt you. We're going to look at some verses. Usually when we're over here in Mark chapter 3, we cover the beginning. I noticed that we haven't covered the end as much. 
maybe once or twice over the decades here. So we're long overdue to to cover this. But in these few verses that we're going to look at, I'm going to highlight for you four assumptions that people have made and the trouble that it caused them. So here's the, the first one, verse 20. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Can you imagine having a crowd that was so aggressive in what they were doing with you that uh, you couldn't even eat? Couldn't even stop to eat. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, who are his own people? How many of you have people? How many got your own people? We got our own people. Now, for some of us, our own people are family. Other people, I've heard you refer to people here at church, your own people. That's good. The kind of people you want to be around. But you have your own people. These are people that you either grown up with, associate with somehow. And um, from other places in the in the passage, we're going to pretty much under, come to an understanding on this, that his own people, this is his uh, family. Family folks. But when his own people heard about this, about multitudes coming together, here's Jesus. He's got multitudes coming together. I mean, they're thronging him, trying to press in. If you go a few verses behind us, you'll find out they were pressing into him so that as many as touched him were healed. What kind of nonsense is that? Jesus having people just throng him like this, thinking that they're going to get healed. We know who Jesus is. He's nobody special. We grew up with him. We saw, we saw him grow and develop and we saw, uh, we, we know the, what kind of person he is. So they were upset at this. And they said, he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. How many of you know that's an assumption? I put in your outline, unbelievers ridicule what they do not understand and refuse to believe. They didn't understand how Jesus could be having these kind of miracles go on, so therefore they really couldn't go on. They didn't believe they were there. They didn't see that Jesus had anything of value, that people would throng around him, or they would make these crowds so aggressive that they couldn't even eat. He's just getting out of his mind. He's just getting lost in all this popularity and all these things that people are doing. We need to go straighten him out. Set him straight. Anybody ever think they ought to set you straight? <laughs> they see you doing some stuff and they feel like, man, we got to get over there and set them straight. They can't be having all that fun, doing all that sort of stuff. That's, that's just not right. See, Jesus is an embarrassment to them. We have to go stop him. See, he's, he's, he's our kin. And if people see him acting up like that, what are they going to think about us? We got to go out there. We got to protect our reputation. And so they're going out there. They say he's out of his mind. Now, what is an assumption? I wrote this down in here. It is a conclusion reached with incomplete information and an unwillingness to ask questions to fill up the information lacking. That's an assumption. Because when I have an assumption, I have come to a conclusion. But in coming to that conclusion, I'm missing some facts along the way. So I assume what they ought to be. And in assuming those, come to my conclusion. Now the thing is, once you come to that conclusion, it's hard to move you off. Because how do you debate the reasons that you got there? So in absence of the complete information, people, they begin to fill in the blanks themselves with their own interpretation of the facts and events. 
or with information garnered from the ignorant and uninformed. Sometimes we'll even draw from past experiences that seem similar. Have you ever heard this from somebody? I had something like that happen to me. And then they begin to relate to you that how that's similar to what you're having and therefore you can reach the same conclusion that they did. Now based on the assumptions they made in, in this one, how much, how confident are you they didn't make assumptions in the other one? Now see, armed with this new information, you are going to connect dots that don't exist. How many remember when you were a kid and we would have those projects that we would get in our, in our school, we're, you know, talking first, second grade, and you have dots all around. And you'd have to connect the dots, and when you connected the dots, you made pictures. Now a lot of those things, you had numbers on them, and you had to follow the numbers to connect all the dots. But what if somebody comes out of there and they connect the dots that are not on the page? They just made their own dots. This is what people are doing when they come to these assumptions. <coughs> now when you add to all this information that they've garnered from people that are ignorant, interpretation of facts that's based on just whatever they want to base it on. With some people, you're going to have emotions that are going to come into play. And once their emotions come into play, now you've got buttons you can push that will send them even further into the irrational. Old painful memories resurface and that gives us a protective reason to stay with our wrong conclusions. This is what assumptions will do. Because assumptions very seldom are not based on something in the past. And almost always in the past it is dealt with some kind of painful memory, some kind of situation that wasn't good. And that will lock you into your assumption. And anybody who comes and along and tries to take you out of that assumption they will push your buttons and you will unleash all the things built up by the painful memories that you have. Is Jesus out of his mind? He is not. But how can you convince these people that they're wrong? Now, if you didn't read your bulletin this morning, I put a quote in there. It is useless to attempt to reason a man out of a thing he was never reasoned into. When you get into a place of an assumption, you did not get there through reasoning. Therefore, no one can reason you out. You are therefore locked in. I want to share with you something kind of hidden about assumptions. Whenever someone, of course not you, other people, but whenever someone falls into the area of an assumption, Of course, they didn't get there with reason. They they filled in their own blanks, made up their own facts, got information from people who didn't know what they were talking about, came to their conclusions. But when we fall into this area of a of an assumption, how many times does it happen that in the assumption we pronounce judgment? Can you think of a person who has fallen into an assumption about someone or something that does not also pronounce judgment at the same time? Look at the assumption these people made here. Family. And what, what kind of end result did they come up with? He is out of his mind. They have pronounced judgment upon the Son of God, the Messiah. Who do you think wants to pull you into a place of pronouncing judgment upon people? What is, what is one of the roles of the enemy of our faith? 
the accuser of the brethren. And he passes his judgment constantly on people. He fills in his own blanks. He comes to his own conclusions. And he pronounces judgment. And every time he pronounces judgment, what does Jesus say? Does he take it, in, take it seriously? Uh, no, devil, you're missing some stuff here. Uh, first off, <laughs> you're missing what my son did on the cross. You're missing the, the forgiving power. He's missing some, some information there. See, the enemy loves to pull you into judgment. Now here when we face this particular crisis here, there's a, there's a lot of people that if you were to go up to them and say, just like I did here in the beginning, what a foolish and ridiculous thing it is for our governor of this state to pronounce upon everyone the closing of, of stores, the closing of schools, all for whatever reason it is there. Now, you, people will, will come to an assumption that I am wrong in that and will therefore pass judgment upon me. But look at the end result. More people will be hurt by the work stoppages than this disease ever could have affected. These people came to a conclusion and they passed judgment on Jesus. They thought some wrong things about Jesus. Did they think that Jesus was right in his actions? No, they thought his actions were wrong. Did they think that Jesus was qualified to do what he did? No, they thought he was not qualified to do what he did. They thought Jesus was not anything special. He's just a man. And they were felt right to come to the conclusions that they did. He is out of his mind. Well, that's what the uh, that's what his family came to conclusions. Let's go on verse for twenty-two. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, "He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons." So these are learned people, supposedly learned on the on the things of God, and they came down from Jerusalem. He has Beelzebub. They have pronounced the judgment upon him. By the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. Do they know this? No. It is a wrong conclusion. They have stepped outside of the bounds of where they are permitted to be able to, to make these things. There's no facts in evidence. I don't need to have any facts on this. We feel like this is so. And they just began to pronounce to, to people. Probably mostly the, the people that were around Jesus, these, these multitudes that came on down. He has Beelzebub. Stay away from that guy. He has Beelzebub. He is casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. And so some people would begin to pull back. You see, people will use accusations to promote their agenda. It happened in Jesus' day. It happens in our day. People use accusations to promote their agenda. When you hear someone who is promoting an agenda through accusations, you don't have to wonder what their source is. It's not God. So verse 23, So he called to himself and said to, to, to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. Well, we know he has an end anyway. So certainly he could divide him against himself and just undercut his own kingdom. But he's trying to get you to understand if that's the purpose that Satan has, he's undercutting his own, the, the, the length of time in which he'll operate. Then verse 27. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Now Jesus is here. He's going to combat this, these assumptions with truth. That's what, that's what he wants to do. Here's this, uh, these assumptions. So he's going to bring the truth in. Understanding that those who refuse to hear will cling to a lie and they will bear the fruit of that lie. So just because someone has made an assumption and you can bring the truth out to show people that's not the way that it is, they will hang on to the lie. And they will also have the fruit of that lie because lies have fruit. There will be things that will come about because of the lie in their life. That's why I don't believe them. That's why throughout all the years and decades that we've been, been here, every, every once in a while I bring some of the things in from current events where the, there's, there's a lie that's being perpetuated. And I'll, I'll show you what the lie was. You know, sometimes we've had uh, false accusations made against police people. And uh, people have made those assumptions and they get mad at the, at the police. And so some of those, situ- I haven't done it with all of them, but I've done it with some. I went back and, and went to the police records and saw some of the interviews that they had and I would bring them out here and share them with you uh, so that a lie wouldn't, wouldn't continue. But the more I would show you the lie, my hope was that you would understand that these are lying people. And that's their fruit. That's what they're going, to, that's what they're going to yield. If you keep bringing the news media into your house and listening to their lies, you will have the fruit for which will come from their lies. If that's what you want in your house, then you can go ahead. I don't want the fear and the anxiety and the worry and all the other stuff that comes in. I don't need all that stuff. They're not out there to promote the truth anyway. But look here at this, this end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. So who is the strong man? You've heard a lot of debates about this. A lot of people go all over the, all over the place. But if you want to find out who the strong man is, all you have to do is read the verse. It's really all that you have to do. Just read the verse. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. All right, first off, if the strong man is the devil, let me ask you this question. What does the devil have that you want? Anybody tell me? What's he got? He's got some fear. How many want the fear? He's got some anxiety. He's got some worry. He's got some hate. Anybody want that stuff? What does the devil have that you want? If the devil doesn't have anything that you want, why are you going in his house? Why are you taking his stuff? And why do you have to bind him up? Because if the strong man needs to be bound up in order for you to get the stuff that's in the house, there's got to be stuff you want. If there's nothing in there that you want, you let the guy stay. You let him alone. Now, do you have stuff in your house that the devil wants? Ah, we're, we're pretty sure about that one, aren't we? So, who's the strong man? The one who's got something in the house that other people want. That's me. I'm the strong man in my house. God made me the strong man in my house. And he told me what to do to not have that go. My calling, the calling on my life is not to plunder. That's not my calling. What is the job of the, of the devil as we hear from the Word of God? Steal. To steal. That's another word for plunder, isn't it? To steal, kill, and destroy. Who sounds like the intruder? You or him? 
Yeah. But in order for the intruder to come into your house and take your stuff, he's got to do something first. You know what that is? He's got to bind you up. He's got to, he's got to do something in your life to bind you up. Now look at the context for which he just taught this. They were saying, he cast out the devil by the ruler of the devil. That's what they were saying. So this is what he's addressing. You see, if the, if the enemy can get you confused on what's going on in the area of, of, of dealing with him, he's got you bound up. Because you won't use the things that are at your disposal. You're not using the name of Jesus. There are people right now who have put down their spiritual armor to pick up a can of Lysol <laughs> and Clorox wipes and whatever else they're doing with toilet paper. I don't, I don't understand. And I'll say, if, if you want to go out there and wash your hands, that's fine. You know what's in the Word of God to wash your hands? It's a good thing to wash your hands. It's a bad thing if you do it out of fear. It's a good thing when you do it out of faith. Just go into that sink. Wash them hands. Father God, I thank you that you gave me wisdom and you gave us soap. And I thank you for the soap that we have here. But I know this soap doesn't protect me from sickness and disease. Your word does. But you just go out there and you wash your hands. That's fine. Now the devil's going to tell you, you're washing your hands because you're afraid. Just laugh at him. I am not afraid. I'm washing my hands because the word of God says it's a good idea to wash your hands. He who is clean, Jesus said, needs only to do what? Wash his hands and his feet. They're clean. So go out there and wash them hands. That's all right. But just don't do it in fear. It's it's okay to do that. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you need to take a moment, get yourself in faith before you go out there and spray that Lysol or <laughs> take a moment. Get out there and get yourself in faith. Father God, I know this can of Lysol does not protect me from anything. It's your word that does. And I thank you for your word. And I will not fall into this fear and all this other stuff that people have me, have me doing. You see, because the devil wants to get you to operate outside of the bounds that God has set up. He has set up for you to win in the arena of faith. But I got to get you, the devil says this, I got to get you out of that arena of faith and get you in here in this area of fear, which means he's trying to bind you up because he knows I can't plunder your goods until I first bind you up. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try and get some things like fear, worry, anxiety, bind you up with these things. Don't be doing it. No one can enter a strong man's house. No one can enter a strong man's house. Be the strong man. You stand up there, devil, you just try and get in this house. Because I'm here. You just try it. No one, this is Jesus talking. Jesus talk. No one can enter into a strong man's house. That'd be great, just put a period right there, right? <laughs> no one can enter into a strong man's house. And you can put a period there as long as you don't get bound up. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. He's got to get you bound up before he can do anything. 
He can't just sneak in and steal stuff. So he's going to get in there. He's going to bind you up. Then he's going to come in and plunder your house. But don't let him do it. Let's go on to verse 28. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the Son of Man and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has never, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now, how many have heard the you know, blaspheme of the Holy Spirit? And we've got all kinds of things that are that are said about this. If you use, uh, if you take the Lord's name in vain, and, and, and I don't. When I say God, I'm referring to Him. I don't use it in any other way ever. If you do, that's up to you. This is me. But it is not blaspheme against the Holy Spirit to do what some people do with the name of God. People will think that and people are under under bondage that way. But this is the context with which Jesus is teaching about the blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So if he is teaching what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is in the light of this context, how many know somewhere in this story is the key to what it is? You don't have to go wondering. Well, I wonder if I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Maybe maybe I did. Oh, no. If I did. It says, But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. So the devil can come against you. I said you blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. There's no forgiveness for you. What has he just done? He just bound you up and now he's going to come in and plunder all your stuff. He's going to come in and take away your assurance of salvation. He's going to come in and take away your peace. He's going to come in and take away your joy. They don't do him any good. He don't have no peace, no joy. But he's going to take it away from you. So somewhere in this story, somewhere in these verses, is the clue as to what it is that blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is. How many can believe that? So whatever it is that caused him to teach this, that has occurred in this encounter, whatever it is, that is the thing that is the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, right? If Jesus is going to go off and teach on this, then something happened in this story that would have sent Jesus in that direction that he would teach on this topic. Can you believe that with me? Alright, let's find out what it is. What would you say? Go to verse 30. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. So why did Jesus teach about the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit? Because they said he had an unclean spirit. They said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. And then they took it even further to say he has an unclean spirit. Does the Son of Man, the Messiah, have an unclean spirit? Is he moved by anything that the devil does? Uh-uh. So, you want a definition for what the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is? I, I gave you a really long line. You can fill it in there as much as you want. This is the best definition of blaspheme of the Holy Spirit I've, I've ever encountered. Here it is. To attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Or vice versa. Blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is to take what God did and say Satan did it. Or to take what Satan did and say that God did it. Is that not what he's been teaching? Are they not trying to say what he is doing by the Spirit of God? He is doing by Beelzebub? Are they not trying to attribute what God has done to set people free? With the one who wants to bind them up? That's blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. When you identify the work of God with the work of the devil, or you identify the work of the devil with the work of God. 
Now, I'm just going to step on a few more toes, if that's all right. That's all right. What do you think happens when people at a funeral, the Lord took them, and it was the devil? What have you just done? You have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. You have attributed to God something that the devil has done. Because the Word of God says that He's the one who goes about seeking whom He may devour. He's the one who goes about to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Word of God says that many have gone home early. Paul's teaching this. Many have gone home early because they did not discern the body of Christ correctly. That means... A lot of stuff that goes on that people go home early on is not God. It's the devil. But people blame it on God and they have committed blaspheme of the Holy Spirit by doing so. Not just believers. I've heard preachers do this. What a ridiculous thing to do. If God did it, give Him the credit. If the devil did it, give Him the blame. But don't go, if you're not sure if God did it or the devil did it, keep your mouth shut. But you see, people have opened their mouth and they have said things about, well, God must be doing this. They've made the assumption. They have, there's no dots connecting this. They brought in their own facts and they've said, God has done this. And they've attributed to God what the devil has worked. Because they're based on assumptions. Very often they get mad at God. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. We got to be careful because there's some people going out there. We may not agree with everything that they believe. And we may not agree with everything that they do in their life. But if God's hand is on them. And they're accomplishing some, th- some things for the kingdom of God. You better not be attributing them to the devil. Because you're following the same line of these people here. Aren't you glad that God used you even when your doctrine wasn't all right? Thank God He did. God used Paul. Early on, when he first got converted, God used Paul. Go back to the book of Acts, you find out. Paul was out there doing some things, preaching the gospel and getting some things done. And yet his doctrine wasn't all right. God took him away. And he went over to the uh, uh, isolation. And then God spoke to him some things, gave him the revelation of the church. Then he came on back with Barnabas and began to teach people that. But his doctrine wasn't right, was it? Yet God still used him. You know that Apollos, one of the great teachers of the New Testament, his doctrine wasn't all right. A couple of people had to pull him aside, straighten him out on some stuff. He received it, and he went on, became very powerful, uh, preacher of the of the Word of God. John Mark, he wasn't all right. He had some problems. Went off with Paul and Barnabas. Took off. Got to be too much for him. But he fixed it. He got things going good. Titus, he was not always saved. Paul found him in an unsaved state. Got him born again. Fed the word into him. Got him useful to the point that he said, when he wrote to him, he said, I abandoned, this is the actual Greek on this one. I abandoned you in Crete. (laughs) That's what he actually said to him. Your Bible says he left, I left you in Crete. No, he abandoned him. He said, man, it was so bad down there. I knew you were the guy for the job. And said, and he, he said, but you straightened them out a whole lot faster than I thought you would. They were some tough people. But he took somebody who was unsaved and turned them into something good. Thank God. We don't have to have everything, everything lined up right. But God can still use us. Let's go on here in verse 31. Then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. Who's his mother? Does he have any other? 
Only has one mother, doesn't he? Brothers and his mother's father's not there. More than likely, Joseph is dead at this time. It's one reason why Jesus stayed at the family business for as long as he did. So some of his other brothers were raised up and uh, they took over. Because Joseph, somewhere along the line, he died. We don't hear about Joseph after the, after the beginning. Jesus kept the family business going. Keep bringing the money in. If you don't want to believe that, that's fine. And sitting outside, they sent to him, calling him. So imagine this. Here's the mom and the brothers. We all know the brothers do not believe in Jesus. They don't do this until after he ascends and he goes on. None of the brothers believe that Jesus is Messiah. It may even be they don't even believe he's saved. So they're standing outside. Can you get this picture? None of them believe that he's the Messiah. Maybe Mary does, but why is Mary with this crowd? And his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. What are they saying? Well, you remember they were, they were the family folks that were up there in the beginning of the passage we started reading. He's out of his mind. Did the brothers convert Mary to think that Jesus is out of his mind? Or is Mary there trying to bring some semblance into the, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. They're just all there. And they start calling them. Come on out. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, if that doesn't sound like this to you, that Jesus has distanced himself from the relatives that are outside the house. He says, I am more in touch with you guys right here than with those outside the house. And he does not move to go outside to where they are. Now, why would Jesus refuse a request from his mother and his brothers? Because obviously their attitude was wrong. Jesus always answered faith. But whatever it is that they're asking, whatever it is that attitude they have, it is not based on faith. And if it is not based on faith, it is sin. And you can see that just by the fact that Jesus does not get up and go out. He stays right there and continues on. Can you imagine? I don't know if you can imagine it, but can you imagine Messiah Mary knows this is the Messiah. She knows all the things that went on with the birth. She knows this is the Messiah. The Messiah is sitting in the house with a bunch of people around him teaching them the Word of God. Can you imagine the audacity of anyone to come stand outside the house? Yo, you need to come on out here. You need to quit doing what you're doing in there and come on out of here and deal with me. That's not good. So Jesus said, I do not need to quit doing what I'm doing. I am going to stay right here. He doesn't, he doesn't give in to these kind of assumptions. He doesn't respond to the pressure from their stinking attitude. Now here we saw four different assumptions in a period of just a few verses. A little over a dozen verses. Four assumptions. You can pick other places in the Word of God and find other ones too. But I'm going to give you seven reasons to stay away from assumptions. Seven reasons to stay away from assumptions. You ready? First, they impede growth. Any assumption that you have in your life will keep you from growing. Anyone. It doesn't matter what it is. Any assumption that you have about the Word of God, about the work of God, any assumption you have will hinder you. When Peter said to Jesus' question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And of course he went on and talked about that, that he was building his church on. But then later on, Peter came up to him and said, you shouldn't want to teach like this when he was teaching about the death and re- burial. Because after they got the revelation, he went on and it, he talked about the death and burial and the resurrection. He talked about that. And Jesus gets pulled aside by Peter. He says, you ought not to, to teach this. Is he basing that on revelation? No, it's assumption. You see, assumption is contrary to revelation. And he has passed judgment on it, hasn't he? And how did Jesus respond to that? Get behind me, Satan. He was pretty stern with it. Assumptions will impede your growth. Get rid of them. You need to find them. You need to get rid of them. There's people that have assumed that sickness and disease is of God to teach you a lesson. You got to get rid of that assumption. People have assumed that God sometimes does some bad things to accomplish his purpose. You got to get rid of that assumption. When Oral Roberts came out with that revelation that seems awfully simple, but it was revelation for, for a lot of people. How many remember this? God is a good God. Doesn't that seem simple? And yet, boy, he stirred up people with that one. What do you mean God's a good God? I didn't think that would be all that earth shattering. God is a good God. He does good things because he's a good God. But boy, that stirred up all sorts of stuff. I still see him. He said it so many times, you know, I can just see him saying it. God is a good God. Amazing, you have to give that to, to people, but see, assumptions were made. Here's the second one. They promote laziness. When you have assumptions, it promotes you to be lazy. Because it's a whole lot easier to assume a thing to be true than it is to actually check it out. One of the biggest tactics in the news media now, and I do not have this and don't, don't, uh, I don't try to get it. If you have it, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. But, uh, most of what the media does anymore is, uh, found on Twitter. And so all they have to do is find something on Twitter and they quote the Twitter account and it's just like going out for an interview. They didn't interview anybody. They didn't talk to anybody. I don't even know if that person actually put it up. But they just put it out there as if they had talked to somebody because they saw it on Twitter. Used to be, reporters used to go knock on doors, interview people, ask them questions, talk to them, find out what they what they uh, wanted to, to say, what they meant on the thing. Not anymore. See, it promotes laziness. It's a whole lot easier to make assumptions, but it promotes laziness. Don't fall for it. Revelation takes some work. If you want to get revelation, you've got to get into the Word of God. God, I, I know there's something here. I know there's something here. And I'm pressing in and I'm pressing in and I'm pressing in. See, I can't be lazy in doing that. Assumptions promote laziness. They foster a negative mindset. Assumptions foster a negative mindset. This is because they have the roots in old hurts and painful memories but it will foster a negative mindset. The more assumptions you have in your life, the more negative mindset you will have. Get rid of those assumptions. You can have assumptions about relatives. It's going to have you a negative mindset against your relatives. People have assumptions about church, about church people. It gives them a negative mindset about those things. People can have assumptions about certain companies. They'll have a negative mindset about that. Here's the fourth one. They keep you stuck in the past. You see, when you hang on to an assumption, you're you're not moving forward in Revelation. You're hanging on to what you've got in the past. Assumptions will anchor you. They will keep you in the past. They will hold you back. You see why the devil loves these? They impede growth. They promote laziness. They foster a negative mindset. They keep you stuck in the past. Fifth, they are, to- they are toxic to healthy relationships. 
Assumptions are toxic to healthy relationships. If you have assumptions with God, you have an unhealthy relationship with God. If you have assumptions with family members, you have an unhealthy relationship with those family members. You have assumptions with neighbors, unhealthy relationships with those neighbors. Six, they become a repeating bad habit. Assumptions lead to more assumptions. If you don't stop the pattern of assumptions, you will have the bad habit of quickly making assumptions as soon as you hear. Well, I know why they did that. Well, I know what's going on here. They will become a repeating bad habit. Here's the seventh one. And I wrote, I worded this a couple of different ways. Says, nope, nope, this is the way it has to be. So you ready for this? They are always wrong. Assumptions are always wrong. Assumptions, assumptions will never lead you to truth. They will always lead you away. That's why you need to get them out. All right, here's a verse for you. Proverbs 18, verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Person who has followed into the area of assumptions. You're going to hear phrases like this. I just want to say this. Why? My opinion is important. The facts are not. Revelation, not important. All that is important is my opinion. A fool has no delight in understanding. They don't want to grow. You can take a person who is filled with assumptions. They are, because of these assumptions, they are moving in areas where they are not supposed to be. They are not where faith has taken them. Mm-hmm. They're in areas of sin. Mm-hmm. And you could sit down and try and talk with them and begin to show them. But they have no delight in understanding. Yeah. The more I embrace assumptions, the less I desire understanding. Mm-hmm. Verse in Proverbs, Brother Creflo Dollar always quotes. Yeah. And all you're getting... Get understanding. That's great. You can go out there and get all kinds of stuff, but if you don't get understanding, you're not helping yourself out. I love it when God reveals to me, Steve, you made an assumption in this area. I did. Tell me more. I get, I get happy. Because that means I'm getting rid of something that is holding me back. To embrace something that will take me further. And God has said, you're ready for it now. I wasn't ready for it before. But now he says, you're ready for it. I want to be in a place where I delight in understanding. See, the more you walk in understanding, the less you walk in assumptions. And you begin to talk to someone and they begin to shut you down. But you know what you know what a person of understanding does? We walk away. Because I do not need to express what's in my heart. I'll share it with you. But I don't need to express it. If you don't want to hear it, hey, that's cool. You know that verse is always quoted that Jesus said, Don't cast your pearls before swine. Well, it's not that you're calling people pigs. It's just a pig doesn't know how to enjoy a pearl. It's not valuable to them. Right. Why would you give a pig something he doesn't consider to be valuable? He's not going to treat it as valuable. Mm-hmm. So if someone shows themselves to not treat revelation, 
understanding is valuable, why would you give it to them? That's what Jesus did. If they showed themselves to be not wanting the revelation, oh, that's all right, I'll go over here and teach these people. You don't have that need. If you have a need to express, I have to, I have to tell you this. More than likely, there's an assumption that you have in there. And that's what's driving you into that area. Because you see, understanding doesn't do it that way. Understanding when we reach somebody who says, I do not want to learn. Okay? I don't need to teach you. I'll just go on over here. But when you find people and they must share what they know with everyone they can, you don't have to wonder what spirit they're of. You don't have to wonder what the assumption is that they have or assumptions. You know that they're there. And until they're ready, ready to let those things go, they will continue to operate in the wrong field, in the wrong place. God has given us boundaries. And these things just lay out some, of them, some more of them. Operate within the boundaries of what God has said. Love understanding. Despise assumptions. But know that you can make them and that you probably even have some. But God in time will reveal those assumptions. And if you keep your heart to love understanding, He's able to when the time comes be able to share it with you. Oh, and it will be light. It will be great help. The enemy wants to pull you into a place where you're making assumptions, where you're pulled into judging those that are around you. And you're trapped in your past and all the hurt and all the things that go along with it. Don't be trapped. Because in order for the devil to take your stuff, he's got to first bind you up. Don't let him. You are the strong man. you got stuff in the house and God wants you to protect it. You've got the peace of God. You've got joy passes all understanding. How is it that you're joyful? Look what's going on. You don't know my God. Don't let the devil come in and take those things because they are precious. Oh, they're important. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. The enemy is trying so hard to keep us bound up so that he can take the stuff that's in our house. But I thank you that your word, your revelation, gives us an understanding that will shatter the hold that assumptions have on our life. We will not be held bound to our past. We will not be lazy. Just accept things as they come to us. Father, we will pursue truth and gain understanding. The enemy wants us to assume many things and pull us out of the realm of faith, pull us out of the boundaries where we are supposed to be. Take us into a place where he can defeat us. But just because he wants that to happen doesn't mean that it will. All around us, there are people that are spouting assumptions after assumptions after assumptions. But I thank you, Father, that your light cuts through them all. And we will not be victim to any of these assumptions. And just as Jesus, in these verses was thrown with all kinds of assumptions at him. He just kept on going. 
I thank you, Father, we can follow his example. And the people who make assumptions against us will fall. And the assumptions that we may have on the inside of us will be exposed. We will tear them down. Glory be to God. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you for every person going out here that we have protection. A hedge is about us. Though things fall to our left and to our right, your word says they shall not come near us. We rest in the truth of your word. No assumptions that others have fallen for will have any effect on us. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.